0: Hey, what's up, everybody? So the next episode is about uh, one of the real important fights in my career against Mustafa Abdul. It was actually a do-or-die fight for me. Um, It was going to decide whether I was going to continue fighting or I was going to actually change and and go back to jiu-jitsu. So interesting podcast. Check it out.
1: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Yamato Damashi Podcast. Ensign, you're back in Japan. You're back in quarantine.
0: How's it treating you right now? Good, man. I got my companion here helping me take care of quarantine. It's our third day now, so I actually got lucky because um, I was supposed to quarantine in a hotel. Oh, that would suck. Yeah, and then I think uh, there was a little bit of a, a slip up that we were i although i did come from hawaii my last leg was from seattle so they asked me they asked me what where where i came from and i just answered honestly i said seattle and i got to skip, skip hotel quarantine oh nice <laughs> yeah so 14 days at home but so it's still two weeks at home so yeah,
1: yeah on the yeah. third day not the best but it could be worse right in a hotel so oh yeah it could be in a hotel for the first three days yeah man, things are getting a bit nuts so cool so today we were we're gonna do um another one of these career episodes where we break down each fight and the last episode we did was the Igor Zinoviev fight which was a really you know grueling fight in your career it was the second loss that you had as well and um the kind of where I went and started was kind of where we left off right because at the end of that fight, you said this was when you were having loads of doubts in your mind around whether you even want to still do this um, as a profession or just at, for fun in general anyway. Um, and you kind of said that Egan's words kind of stuck stuck with you a little bit. So for those who didn't see that episode, just remind people just sort of where you were in your head after that loss.
0: Yeah, after losing, uh, for me, it was a big frustration because I uh, trained so hard and I think it was like 44 seconds. Got knocked out, and I was like, oh, all that training, I was so ready. And, you know, I felt like I wasn't sure. You know, I got caught. I didn't think I did anything wrong. And I thought, man, is this even worth it? And as I'm having those, uh, you know, that big disappointment of letting myself down, walking out of the ring, I remember Egan looking over at me and telling me, because Egan used to just do jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. I got Egan into jiu-jitsu. And I had the transition from two MMA and i remember egan telling me on the way back we weren't even back at the locker room we were walking on the way wow. i remember him telling me man there's too much to cover in mma you we got to you just got we got to go back to jiu jitsu and at the moment when he said that i remember feeling that like oh yeah too much to freaking cover in mma i got to go back to jiu jitsu mm-hmm. remember i remember thinking that so i was at that that spiral actually um know in, in the in the movement of actually feeling like i'm gonna be hanging up those mma gloves wow so
1: obviously you decided not to do that but there was quite a quick turnaround with the fights as usual as well so you know the fight um with eagle was in july and then this fight with mutak was um october so kind of what changed in that time frame right to make you suddenly go do you know what i'm gonna get give it another go
0: well, see, the, the the good thing about this whole thing was, um, before my first loss to Joestes, mm-hmm. i had already made up my mind that I was going to try and do what I can in the sport. Mm-hmm. If I was still on the movement of uh, just fighting one at a time to get the experience and get the, you know, get that practice of controlling my nerves, I would have been done. But the fact that I made an agreement with myself that I was going to, you know, give it everything I got. I just felt that, you know, I lost those two fights. Um Igor's one was really discouraging because it was before seconds and I was probably in one of the best shapes of my life. Mm-hmm. So I I've, I felt that, you know, making that um giving up on myself or, or giving up on the career or, or sort of making a career change. I just felt that, you know, I didn't want to make have any regrets. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, like I always said that um you know, baseball is three strikes and you're out. Yeah. So e- Joe Estes was one strike. Igor was a second strike. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do it again until I get the third strike. So, you yeah. know, but what my, my, many people don't know is before, um, racquetball and before fighting my whole, my, my big dream was baseball. I wanted to be a baseball player. Really? No baseball way. all through high school. Yeah. Played baseball all through high school. Um, Actually, tried out, did a walked on the University of Hawaii team, didn't make it, and that's when I decided to go to racquetball. So, yeah, you know, baseball was always my dream sport, and it was always that you know, you try something and three strikes and you're out. So, yeah, I felt yeah. I gotta give myself one more chance, yeah. And that's how you know, um, talked to Sama mm-hmm. and wanted to get back in the ring as soon as possible,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and decided and then- to, um, yeah, October, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in your book, you kind of sort of mentioned
1: that Sayama and a few of the other, and Egan, kind of, and a few others were kind of, like, leaning you towards, like, maybe taking an easier fight to sort of get, uh, jump back into things, right? But you um, you picked out Mushtak, Mushtak Abdullah, who obviously, you know, probably a, a lot of casual fans, a lot of people aren't quite aware of, of who he was and he because he had such a short stint in the sport, right? But talk a bit, A, about what made you want to fight Mushtak and B, Kind of just about, I don't know, he had. It seemed, this was such a strong wrestling background, and he seemed huge. It seemed like a way tougher challenge than anyone else you could have faced, potentially.
0: Yeah, well, for me, um, I wanted to know if I was going to continue, if, if it was, you know, I was actually um, cut out for the sport. Mm-hmm. So taking an easy fight for me wasn't going to really answer the question. I just felt that to really answer the question, I had to take another hard one, mm-hmm. and see how I could handle it, see how I could deal with it. You know, and I didn't want to take someone that I thought I could beat because then it wouldn't prove anything to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I figured that, you know, if I take an easy fight, okay, I win. I still won't convince myself that I'm I'm, I'm made out for this. Say, so take another easy fight and I win. I still want to have that question. Mm-hmm until I until I fight someone that really pushed me pushes me to my limits or someone that really is supposed to be really good uh, I I thought that it wouldn't really convince me so I figured you know why waste time why take some easy fights and you know you know prolong the career that if it's gonna end and I'm not I'm not cut out for it I'd rather know in the next fight than wait and prolong it three fights so mm-hmm. um, when you know, I, I was thinking who to fight, who I could fight, and I, the in that whole valitudo Japan, mm-hmm. what stood out in my head was uh Mustafa Abdul, and mm-hmm. why Mustafa Abdul stood out was because he fought Sanai Kikuta, mm-hmm. and Kikuta was uh, one of the top fighters in Japan. He, he actually beat Egan in a jacket jiu jitsu match, mm-hmm. so Kikuta was a real, you know, tough, strong guy and good submissions. And I remember specifically when, when Kikuta fought Mustafa, mm-hmm. um, Kikuta had Mustaf in a real deep knee bar and Mustaf just sucked it up. Took the, you know, I mean, Kikuta was bridging as much as he can. W- probably did pop his knee a little bit, you know, cause mm-hmm. those submissions, even an arm bar, you get your, st- you get your joints popped, or your ligaments stretched. Mm. So he sucked it up and then started, you know, with the other leg started healing Kikuta in the face. And, and, and there was this uh, ferocity that Mustaf had that I felt that you have to beat up Mustafa to win. Mm-hmm. He wasn't the type of guy that's going to, you know, be a sportsman, you know, try to get a win and hug you and hold you. He, he's trying to come to hurt you. And mm-hmm. to beat him, you would have to really beat him up. Mm-hmm. So I felt that someone like Mustafa was someone that would really push me to my limits. And, then, you know, it wasn't someone that I could say, like, oh, yeah, I, I think I could beat him. I mean, Mustafa was someone that would be a big challenge. And for me, to say that I, I know I could beat him would would probably be an artificial sense of security. To be honest, it would be like, I don't know. I don't know who's going to win. Mm-hmm. I mean, as ferocious, as ferocious as he was, the way he smashed Kikuta, which Kikuta is a very good fighter. hmm I was like, man, I don't know. I, this guy might actually be better than me. This guy might be tougher than me, but let's find out, you know? So, yeah, I wanted a fight that was going to push me to my limits again.
1: You know what's crazy is that, that that mentality of what you're just saying there. It feels like it doesn't really exist that much in in modern-day MMA, really, that much. Everyone's thinking about the money. Everyone's thinking about the big fights. Uh, you know, it feels, I don't know, the like the whole, like, I want to fight the best guy I can fight right now It's like, you know, when they say people are, are ducking like Chimaev and stuff, there's only a few fighters. You really hear that sort of say like, I want to fight that guy because he looks like the hardest guy to fight. Um, so I don't know. It's it's ho- hopefully we see it more, you know, I'd like to see that more. Well, well,
0: in this day and age, you know, MMA has become a sport and it's, mm-hmm. it's uh. You know, it's about winning, and it's about looking good, and it's about getting sponsors. You know, it wasn't about testing yourself. I think the fighters nowadays would rather fight opponents that they could win to give them a title shot, to get a belt, to get Mm -hmm. that name, to create a legacy, and to be in the history of the sport. You know, I think the fighters nowadays are more more concerned about, um, you know, you you hear them also. Even Daniel Cormier talks about the the GOT, who's the greatest Mm -hmm. of all time. You know. And then they talk about my legacy. You know, it's, it's like there's so much material stuff involved. You know, they talk about their supporting their family. I want to fight because I have a child now. It's giving me more in- incentive to train harder. You know, it's like there's so much things that people fight for nowadays that are targeted towards a goal to, you know, financially help themselves or buy them a house or, you know, create this uh, legacy that they'll never be forgotten. Mm -hmm. Uh, You never hear about them, you know, challenging their personal goals or you never hear about them Mm -hmm. saying that, you know, they want to build their spirit or they want to test their, their, their grit and their heart, you know, so it's, it's just a really different age now, you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, guys like me, Mark Coleman, Hoyce Gracie, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, Don Fry, all these guys that fought back in that day, you know, money wasn't a thing. Money is not something that we we brought after our career. We are still poor guys right now, but you know, I think we're millionaires in our soul. You know, we we've tested ourselves, mm-hmm. and our wallets aren't as fat. But I mean, I think the security we have in our soul and our spirit is a lot bigger than most of the people nowadays. So, you know, it, it's I think it's just a day and age that we grew up in. So yeah, for me. I don't think I've ever picked a fight that I thought I could win. I always picked a fight that I thought would push me to a a sphere level that I would have to grow and be stronger as a man to overcome. Too mm-hmm. so about Mustafa too, you know. Mm-hmm. I I I realized that, you know, when I picked Mustaf, he was one of the he was a Iranian wrestler, and back in that day, Iran had tough wrestlers. Mm-hmm. I think still today, Iran has one of the top wrestling teams. So for me, my takedowns. I wasn't a wrestler. I I never really did wrestling. So my takedown defense wasn't that good. So there was a chance that I was going to end up on the bottom. And, you know, the the two fights that I lost, Joe Estes and Igor Zinoviev, I was on the bottom. Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, to have that type of fighter that probably going to put me in that my vulnerable position that I've been defeated twice in, it it just added another element of uh, fighting someone that really wasn't going to create adversity for myself. So, you know, yeah, I wasn't fighting a striker. I was fighting a jiu-jitsu guy that couldn't strike at all. I wasn't mm-hmm. fighting a striker that had no ground. I was actually fighting someone that actually was probably the worst matchup for me Yeah, in my ability and my style to be able to beat and overcome. He was probably mm-hmm. a very, very bad style for me of uh, being such a strong, aggressive wrestler. Mm but you know that's the one i had to pick that's the one i had to pick to you know make that final decision and see if i'm going to hit that last pitch or i'm going to strike out and you know change careers
1: yeah yeah. gamble it all that's cool man such a cool approach so how were the nerves compared to say you you know in the last fight with Zenovia? if you were um coming off the loss to joe right so did you find the nerves sort of doubled based on on sort of the fact that you felt like the stakes were even higher it was potentially strike free
0: No, the the nerves for me, if anything, was um, I knew that this fight was going to decide the movement of my career. I really did want to pursue fighting, but I didn't want to pursue something that I wasn't cut out for. Yeah? So, you know, for me, it was almost, uh, you know, the, the pressure that I had knowing that after this fight, it could be a whole career change. I did enjoy fighting. I put everything into the fighting. I lived fighting. You know, I've lived MMA. I, everything I did was about MMA and to actually in one night have all that change was pretty nerve wracking. And, you know, I've always said that the, the celebration you see after the fight is actually the insecurity that the fighter had during the fight or about the fight. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, um, in my fight, after I beat Mustaf, you know, I I I like I flexed up in the air and I screamed, you know. And that just showed you how much uh anxiety and how much uh insecurity I had about that fight that you know I really didn't know if I was gonna win that. So, you know, the the celebration of actually winning showed the insecurity I had about winning. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was a really um for me, it was a career decision you know Mm -hmm. whether i was going to change my careers or not and that fight you know a lot of pressure was a lot of pressure knowing that this fight was gonna be do or die yeah it seemed like you but you
1: you kind of made it yourself put your back up against the wall right like no one else is sort of putting this pressure on you put it on yourself which is a different approach um so let's get into specifics of the fight right so this fight is impossible to track down i've seen a few clips from it but i've never seen it in its entirety right but i know it's pretty short um there was a bit of a weirdness right because i mean it's you thought you got the win initially at first and then the ref d- didn't see that right but t- talk me through what happened there
0: yeah well the thing that was we're weird is that um mma was still in its growing process it was still not a. Uh, you know, they hadn't didn't have the rules set down. A lot of associations had different times, have different weight classes. They had different rules. So with the Shuto rule, they had this rule that was a standing eight count. So once you knock someone down, they get a standing eight count. You know, and uh, Mustaf has fought in other leagues, other, other associations that didn't have that. So the first punch I connected with Mustaf was he went down and i think his association that he used to fight in there was no standing eight count so if if there's no standing eight count when when you go down, if you get knocked down on the ground the guy can jump on you and kick you in the face stomp you punch your face knee your head you know so i think mustaf when it was getting knocked down um you know just was pretty much i'm done and he started tapping the mat but the shooter ref made a mistake because Tapping, no matter what situation you're in or what part of the fight it is, when the person taps, the fight's over. But the shooto ref was just so engulfed in the ten count, the eight count rule, mm-hmm. that as soon as he saw Mustaf go down, he started at eight count. And in, and and I saw, I was on top of Mustaf, and I saw him tap, and for me, it's over, you know. So I'm like, okay, it's done, the fight's over. So I started, I went into the corner and kind of raised my hands in the air. And when I turned around, and noticed the Lusof was trying to get up, and the ref was still counting for him. I say, "Wait a minute, it's over." And when the eight count ended, I remember the referee letting us fight. I'm I'm looking at the ref like, "Wait, wait, wait!" I mean, you can see the video. I'm I'm looking at the ref like, he tapped. I'm telling the ref, he tapped, he tapped. And the ref kind of looks at me like, "What?" And right there for me, I'm thinking like, "Okay, I had him on the ground. He was he was dizzy." And the more I, if I talk to the ref longer, He's recovering. So oh, fuck, I, I just got, I guess go back to the fight. So I went back to the fight mm-hmm. and you know, the, the, in that fight, what happened was I connected with the next right. I threw at him. I mean, he threw a huge looping right of me and it was such a big punch. I hit him with a right. And then he fell to the ground. And this time I didn't want to get off of him. I saw him tapping again. He tapped again. So instead of getting off on my own power, I waited until the ref called the fight. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I felt, wow, this is so unfair. I had to beat him twice. He tapped twice. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: It must have uh I guess it you kind of saw it as like a mental victory, right? That you you you
0: beat him twice essentially. And mm. so Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I think I think you know, when he got hit, I think he's never been hit like that. Mm-hmm. So he freaked out and tapped. And I think when he got up and the ref was telling him to fight again. I don't think he was ready. I don't think he was mentally prepared for it anymore. I think he was already defeated. He threw his big haymaker to just, you know, maybe like a do or die punch. And the next shot I hit him with, he just said, I'm done, man. He fell to the ground and started tapping. And, you know, I, I stayed on top of him and it was a big lesson for me because Mm -hmm. I realized that I'm a fighter. I'm not a referee. I'm not a doctor. I don't make any determinations on whether the fight should be stopped or whether this guy has done or he's, he's incapable of defending himself. My job is to fight. My job is to hurt my opponent before he hurts me. My job is to continue to hurt my opponent and put him out of commission until the referee tells me it's over. And I felt that when he tapped the first time, I stopped. I got off him on my own. I thought it was over but that's not my job my job isn't to determine whether he's tapping or not my job isn't to determine that the fight's over so I get off of him my job is to continue to hit him and hurt him till he I get put off by the referee that's going to that's the only person in the ring that has that power to determine the fight's over or not so that's when I decided in my head that job is to hurt Mm -hmm. my job is not to stop the fight and protect the fighters the referee's job and that's when I decided that I'm gonna go on and I'm gonna go and try and hurt my opponent until the referee physically pulls me off.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I I don't think anyone can really argue with that logic, right? That's what
0: the referee is there for. So um, yeah, I mean, for someone like Mustafa, man, I had to beat him twice. Yeah, yeah, you know. And I should don't actually think- have another win on my record.
1: Yeah, I don't think he uh ever came back to MMA after that fight, you know. I think he did more I think he lived in Australia from what I can see. And I think he did some um more wrestling. I think he did like the Commonwealth games and things like that.
0: So I think he moved went back oh, to that okay, sport. I did. Yeah, there's not much yeah, there's maybe, quite a... you know. Yeah, you know, maybe it's just I think the the hits that he took, I think it kind of freaked him out, like holy shit, this is not what I want to do. Yeah, yeah, and he went. I think he probably just went back to his bread and butter, which was wrestling.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, fair enough. Um, you mentioned obviously the post
1: fight celebration, you really felt like you let it all go because of, of, how, of how much sort of was going into this fight. Um, any other sort of post fight thoughts that you had? Like, obviously, that kind of sealed the deal for you that this was going to be your career, right?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, so. I remember screaming. I mean, I, and you know, Nakayuki Yuki was in my corner because he we used to trade at the same gym. So he was at that time he was still in the corner for me. And I remember him crying. There's videos of him hugging me and crying in the ring, because he knew also. I was like that big uh that big um secret Shuto fighter, big heavyweight fighter that's gonna is like brought ground to the Shuto fighters, and I'm like that big Shuto big big brother, yeah. Mm. And so to see, you know, to to think that for Nakai to think that I was going to retire, I was going to give it up if I didn't win this, I think scared them. Mm. You know, their big brother, the one who taught them the ground and brought all this jujitsu to Shuto, I think it, it scared them to think that I was not going to be there anymore. Yeah. So I remember after I won, I remember, I, I, I remember looking over and Nakai was pretty much crying mm. in the ring. With his hands in the air too, yeah. So, yeah, um, awesome. yeah, it was pretty huge. It was, it was a, I think it was a, it was a huge win for me because I think that just not me, even Egan and even you know the Shuto Jim Sayama, they all knew that this was actually a make or break. So it was a big uh, weight lifted off my shoulders. Yeah, and it wasn't like okay, I gotta win the next one. I'm gonna quit. I'm, I'm not made out for this. I knew right there, I'm, I'm made out for it. I yeah. just had a couple bad fights. But I knew that um, this MMA thing was something that I did want to pursue and work harder at. Awesome. Uh, awesome. I mean, yeah, the,
1: I, it's a fight I really want to see in its entirety. But we, uh, but hopefully one day it'll get released somewhere. I think sometimes with these fights, they get sort of put on the internet and they disappear and then you find them again. But, um, I'll go
0: try to look on the internet because you know you know where I nos- noticed I found a lot of the... Um, the good highlights of that fight is in the highlight reels. You know, when people mm. put highlight reels of me that have accumulation of things, that fight's in it a lot. Yeah, okay. So I'll try to look at that and try to send you the um the clips of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's just cool. I've seen, Like I said, I've seen bits of stuff, but it'd be cool just to see the whole event, just to see what happened. But um, speaking of big events, uh, there's obviously a big UFC this weekend. We're not going to sort of go through the whole card, but I'm just really keen to know uh, if you've got a prediction for the main event all the, which is obviously Dustin Poirier versus
0: Charles Oliveira I I mean po- Poirier and Oliveira. I think you know they they both have the ability to beat each other I just I don't know for some reason I feel that um Oliveira is gonna be too strong I think his game is a lot more well-rounded um you know the striking wise Mm-hmm. I think Poirier might be a lot sharper on the striking, mm-hmm. but Oliveira creates enough of a danger that he could end the fight in one punch.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the thing that I think um, really helps Oliveira is as far as the ground. If they go to the ground, I think over Oliveira is a, a, a level above Dustin on the ground. Yeah. So with that, yeah. you know that insecurity of going to the ground with Oliveira might affect Poirier's striking. Cause, and, and, you know, Olivero's striking is, is top-notch, too. I mean, he's dangerous as a striker. So, you know, for me, odds-wise, you know, it's it's one of these fights that you pretty much hate anyone to lose because Poirier and Olivera are such class acts and such good guys. Mm-hmm. But for me, if I had to pick just the fact that Oliveira is just as dangerous on the feet as Poirier, maybe not as accurate, but just as powerful, and the fact that his ground is, I believe, is a lot better than Poirier. I mean, if I had to bet, bet on which one would win, I'd, I'd say um, Olivera has better percentages. But on any given night, mm-hmm. it's be, like yeah. a coin flip on who's going to win. Yeah. But I, I would, if I had to pick one, I'd say Oliveira. How about you? Do you know what's weird? I, I'm i picking Oliveira as well. And I
1: thought that... Um... You might have gone Dustin because, uh, for some reason, Oliver is the underdog. When I've looked at the betting odds a couple of days ago, Olivera was quite a heavy underdog. I was like, Really? I thought it would have been even for both guys, but um, I don't know. Uh, Dustin, oh, does look, i
0: Dustin, I better have Sarah look at her betting app and see if if Oliver is an underdog. That's a good, that's a yeah, good yeah. underdog bet, I believe. It, there, I <laughs> who was you, who, who you got for the um, the women.
1: Oh, I don't pick Amanda against.
0: Nunes and Penna.
1: I don't pick against Nunes. <laughs> I, I've i been saying Nunes. I've been singing Nunes praises since the first Misha Tate fight. And uh, I would say this person is going to be the one that's going to be the champ. And then obviously went on, knocked out Rousey and all that. So, um, yeah, I've been singing her praises for a long time, man. What about you? Who have you got for Pena?
0: Yeah, like same like you. I mean, I don't think Pena has a chance. Mm-hmm. I love her confidence, though. -hmm. And how she really believes that she's gonna, she actually can beat him. And you know the, you know, I mean, because A beats B and B beats C doesn't mean A is gonna beat C, you know. Mm -hmm. But you know, with that said, you know, Zingano beat Nunes, Mm -hmm. Pena beat Zingano. You know, (laughs) so that creates a little bit of excitement. The fact that Pena's so confident, uh, you know, I think Pena is. uh, and I, you know, the way as hard as Amanda Nunes hits, from what I hear,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we're going to, I think it's going to be a big thing when, when Amanda lands that first shot mm-hmm. to see how Penas' confidence and how her, you know, her, if she'll be able to keep her strategy and her, you know, her style. Mm-hmm. because it seemed even Misha said that, you know, when she got hit by Nunez, she was like, holy shit, I've never been hit this hard. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'd i say Nunes 100%, man. Yeah, it's hard to pick but against her, right? So. I'm excited for it. I'm excited yeah. for it. Cool.
1: All right, everybody. Thank you so much for watching and uh, we'll talk to you guys again soon.